afternoon and welcome to episode five of Coaching Cars Getting Coffee, our second episode of the day. We're still joined by our guest co-host James Bateman. It's me and Brett again and our fifth guest is Jason Lee. Hello Jason. Hello everybody. So we've gathered Jason into a Costa in Reading and we are going to talk about uh, the current trends in the international game, some experiences where it's going and then some things around coaching and where maybe that's heading in hockey and uh, wider in a wider sporting context so Brett as ever first question thank you Andrew uh, yeah it's interesting to hear your thoughts on the international game where it's going obviously we just uh, watched the pro league both men and women which I guess gives us a bit of a platform to see what's happening internationally at the moment which is uh, obviously new it's interesting so yeah, what are your thoughts well it feels um, like international hockey's changed a lot since mm. I left what for four and a half five years ago now I'm still sort of involved in top club hockey and the distance between what top club hockey in this country is and international hockey seems to be it's a massive gap, much bigger than it used to be. Um, and I think actually the way that the Pro League, the fact that it's on a, a game and then a break, and you're preparing for a game and a break as opposed to what we used to do, which is you know seven or eight games in a couple of weeks, that's that's changed a lot, you know, and uh, it seems that people are being more tactically orientated to that one opposition, which of course in a tournament you, you can't do. Um, and so that's, that's fascinating because that is such a complete shift, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, when, I mean, I work in football now, and that's the thing that I was so interested. How in football do you do it like on a week, week to week basis? Because we were so used to preparing for sort of one tournament that was sort of three to eight months off, yeah. and uh, you know, and that's sort of those small cycles uh, of, of preparation. They talk about how game day minus one and two and three, which you know, periodization within a week. Um, whereas we used to talk about periodization over sort of months, months and years, and uh, so you could physically peak much easier. You know, like tactically, you had to be much more adaptable because you're trying to prepare for seven opposition as opposed to the one opposition. And and from afar, it looks like people are having much more bespoke tactics. You, in some of the interviews with the players, you hear stuff that I never used to hear. So Australia, when they beat us in the men's semi-final. They were talking about trying to overload the right side attack, which is a, used to be a dangerous tactic because the next game you play, that actually if we've indoctrinated that too much, it doesn't suit the next team. I personally would always be mindful of not being too overt because of the cost of the next game. And that's been quite interesting to see. Does that mean that there'll be much more different, a team will be able to reconstruct itself every time and then what does it mean for the Europeans coming up and the qualifier, Olympic qualifiers, Olympics itself. So that's just interesting to see how it comes up. So it's getting quite deep ready but do you think it's got a limiting factor for the big events like the Olympics where you're going to have to flip the way you set your team up to not be game to game, you have to be adaptable, you have to have pretty strong principles, robust playing styles and that kind of stuff. I guess time will tell. Yeah, time will tell. It's interesting of course. I mean the the Olympics used to be the opportunity for the certain countries to leverage their ability to play of high intensity throughout a tournament because some of the countries that just weren't able to prepare in the same way that you know Australia um, and us, to be frank, um, that, that gave us a, an advantage, and maybe that still will be an advantage when we when we get back to see the Olympics. Um, in some of the countries, because they've been on this sort of longer season, um, Germany used to be able to you know for a tournament because they'd struggle in the season because the club, you know, the distance of the country and the club stuff 
in, you know, there's quite a serious um, focus on the club stuff, and it's been interesting that men, particularly the German men, are struggling. It's been on, it's been unheard of, and I wonder whether the, you know, how international hockey has changed has actually shown up their weaknesses in terms of their ability to deliver week in, week out. Do you see there has been a trade-off between being able to perform in a pro league setting and then being able to go and do this and be successful at a tournament, and how the preparate the trade-off in preparation time, playing style. How that, is, it, is it possible to be very good at both, for instance? Well, there's, yeah, if all things are possible, I yeah. think. It's just, um, there's a different approach, you know, and as soon as you have a push in one direction, which is prepare for this team this week, and then you flip to a more of a generalised principles of play approach for a tournament, that, they are different approaches, and actually often it's, it's the transition from one approach to the other that causes the problem, um, you know, because when you have a bespoke tactical plan and you have time to deliver it you kind of can be slightly more overt in these are the expectations whereas in a tournament actually you want to be much more well I've always believed the players kind of more understanding the variety of things they're likely to face as opposed to you know these are the strengths and weaknesses and the opportunities for just particular. Do you game. think the pro league and the, the opportunity to prepare tactically for different opposition will allow for a wide range of tactics within a tournament in a tournament yeah. setting? I think the Pro League gives the opportunity to have wider tactics, of course, because you can be more planned for it. And it'd be lovely, actually, for that meant that in a tournament setting that people came with wider set of tactics. You know, like, whether it's man-to-man -man or zonal or heavy pressing or, or deep defence, most of the time through a tournament setting, the, the dominant countries have kind of created how everybody else plays. So We look at the Olympics on the men's side, both. Belgium, Argentina were very zoned, yeah. quite deep, very good at corners. Yeah. And that was then the default. It does seem other countries adopted that mm. to a degree, whereas you know, before that, well, in my time coaching, even though they weren't the best, the Spanish sort of created a, a theme for a lot of people to follow, which is, you know, sit deep, play on the counter attack, particularly if you're not as strong man for man as, you know, Australia, Germany, or Honda were at the time. Um, you know, and then everybody sort of followed, whoever was making a breakthrough, people sort of followed that a little bit. Um, you know, you see that there was times when people sort of went to more organised pressing, then it sort of flipped to organised outletting to sort of break down the organised pressing. Then it ended up being a little quite overt man-to-man, -man, and now it's kind of gone to a little bit of a zone. It'd be lovely actually just for the interest of the game if actually the, the Pro League approach created more diversity of tactics, just because it's interesting. You know, you get more of a mix-up of games, really, as a, as a consequence. I mean, we could always beat India, Great Britain and England could always beat India, sort of 80s and 90s, because the way we played was so different to how they played. Uh, and Australia used to ask us how we beat India, because they used to struggle against it. You know, I used to like that, but that seems to have sort of drifted. Um, as people have, well, I'm not saying it happened now, but it... There certainly was a period where actually it became a bit the same in terms of tactical delivery. I think videos had a, a part to play in that as well, and kind of sharing the video and basically a bit more aware of how each of the country plays. Uh, yes, although I always felt video analysis actually showed you what more more clearly what does or doesn't work. Yeah, okay. You know, so not necessarily what an opposition does, but if we keep, you know, typically play an aggressive small unit play down the left hand side from left half. Mm. I used to watch with amusement as it sort of those attacks failed and the attack of 25 the circle edge 
and then the ball comes back quickly and it's in your circle. But a lot of countries weren't doing the analysis to actually, oh, this is what typically happens in that play. So I certainly think video analysis has actually made people more knowledgeable about second, third, fourth phases of play that often come about because of how you set up in the first phase. Um, and you see people mindful of that nowadays. Uh, and so they're more attacking in certain areas of the pitch and more conservative in certain areas of the pitch. So I think that was, you know, video analysis has certainly helped that. Just touching on something you mentioned um, when you were talking about football context and peaking week to week and the difference in an outstanding finish in the Pro League and then a tournament based to be more principles based and more uh, open tactically. Um, just discussing the differences of a coaching approach within that and what sessions in a in a peak by Saturday environment look like as opposed to building towards a tournament where you know you've got two weeks of intense competitions and what um, what a coaching approach would look like and what the key difference would be preparing those environments. Well yeah I mean football is a great um, museum <laughs> laboratory <laughs> I say museum because some of it is dated but actually a lot of it is a laboratory actually seeing how coaching's trying to evolve yeah. to, to you know to get the best out of stuff and you do see kind of very tactically um, designed tactics by a coach being delivered through a week in football for execution on the, the weekend you do get very much let the players play approach and see how that comes out and then you get a principled approach like Guardiola and Klopp do and they all have various degrees of success to my mind mostly because of the quality of the players they've got but certain players will only accept a certain way of playing because of you know the great players want to be great which means they have to have a degree of flexibility um, so, I mean, it's quite interesting. I mean, like, there has been a there's been a sort of a period where it's like just good coaching in terms in the wider sense of coaching, which is you know an an insightful question that allows the person to have um, deep thought and construct it in their own image and then go and play. Uh, but I, I that was and before that was heavy knowledge of the game, in part knowledge. It feels like we are actually coming back to a a little bit of rebalance, which is, you know, we, we all know, we know creativity is based on previous knowledge. Uh, creativity, to my mind, just left with just as freedom. You can get all you know, interesting, but sometimes successful, sometimes unsuccessful outcomes. And you know, to, to make sure that we get productive outcomes, it's based on actually knowledge and then the tussle between the knowledge of the game and an open, engaging coaching approach. That feels like the new coaching challenge. And, I think that how international hockey is changing from the pro league to the tournament approach, you know, will we'll reveal that tussle as well. Um, it'd be interesting because it'd be in terms of designing the programs that will throw up some interesting things, not just physically, but how you periodise the learning of the players and yeah. how tactics are uh, developed and decided. Have this periodic thing. We've got to be quite open and players discover things and it's about the players growth and learning but then the tournament phase which is maybe more like you said knowledge of the game yeah. things are imparted more yeah and in football they are I mean there's world class practice in football that we don't hear about on the outside because it's not in their interest to, to yeah. say it out loud too much but they talk about periodisation of like psychological periodisation as well as physical technical tactical yeah. uh, and you know and they, there's a lot of work to make sure that come the game day that all things are peaking to that moment but they often are they don't support each other so if you want to peak tactically um, 
like getting a collective of people to deliver something on the on the match day, and sometimes that undermines psychological peaking. You know, uh, and it's fascinating to see when, all the complexity of that and how it plays out. And it's, I think it's for football in particular that the amount of games and the amount of time they have to play the games is just incredible yeah. compared to where we are with the hockey and a lot of other sports. Yeah, and then I think it just, you immediately start to talk about culture and environment actually as a key driver. You know. Uh, I think it's, even in hockey we know this, you can't really push people in December in this country in January, you just let them have fun because it's bloody tough being out there. Yeah. And then sort of pre, you know, your, your pleasant August, September is when you can really push technical, tactical, physical things because it's fun. Yeah. You know, so the psychological drivers at those points, you know. And, and uh, the flip at the end of the season, you don't want to change too much just to create that uncertainty and what the stuff we've done in the previous season yeah. hasn't been very good, why we change it now? Yeah. But of course you get that tension quite often at the end of the season is when, okay, we have to, if we don't win this, yeah. we don't win, or if we don't win this, we don't stay in the league or yeah. win, a, win a game. So, you know, like managing that, that's, um, that, I think they're the new areas for coaching to deliver. And of course the health and wellbeing agenda. Uh, and there's not a lot of supporting evidence that actually you can perform and have mental wellbeing. Not that it doesn't exist, it's just that so much performance work has been just about delivering outcomes that there's a new consideration of well-being and uh, mental health and so that will be a new thing that has to come into everything it used to be participation v performance well now that we're trying to bring all things together so come across Elliot Newell recently he's got his thriving and uh, surviving model and can you get that thrive where it is performance development and that mental and being all in together but he even said it's probably not you're not thriving all the time. There's actually times when you want to thrive, and actually times where you want to actually put them in a bit of like a survival state, and then you want to yeah. a bit where you want them to flourish and just feel really good, and then they just you periodise that as well as uh, all the bits that are integral to coaching. Yeah, yeah. And for me, there's a huge debate to be had about actually what is well-being and mental health. You know, what is happiness? Happiness playing sport, you know, that is. You just get pretty deep now, Jason. Yeah. You're 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a father of an 11 year old and a, a 13 year old, you know, playing a lot of sport, and I want to make sure that they feel happy, but also it's purposeful. Yeah. You know, and uh, it doesn't mean that they, they finish necessarily with a smile on their face, but they do talk about it fondly afterwards. Um, I always sort of, and unfortunately, some people don't, they don't understand it immediately. So, Wayne Rooney, 10 years after he finished being coached by. David Moyes at Everton is now thankful for the approach that David Moyes had, but hated it at the time. You know, that's that's one of the challenges of helping people that to help sometimes doesn't always feel great, which is why in some environments that you'd say that's not the best feedback you can receive as a coach, is it? If someone comes off it depends on your context, but if a player comes off the pitch and says that was a super fun experience and it's the best time I've ever had. How deep a learning moment was it? If it's not yeah. enough reflection, and there should be a little maybe some uncertainty around that, and it might take a period of time to yeah. understand that experience and make sense of it. But does that mean you say that's the best camp ever? Had so much fun. That would make me think how much learning has happened and how much I've yeah. been challenged. Yeah, and we know learning isn't as simple as doing something successfully. It's yeah. Actually, can I can I bring that knowledge back in two or three weeks' time and then deliver it? You know, it's just. It's the, the ability to leverage that learning and then deliver it is part of it. And so actually finishing sessions, having done it, we actually know that typically isn't a measure of it being learned. No, Just so it's been, a really easy measure. So coaches will sometimes gravitate to that. Great, yeah. we've ticked it off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the retention retrieval of it, the bit, yeah. that's the bit that's missed. But as I say, at Christmas time, you should definitely make sure they finish 
you know, session enjoying it because yeah. that's what brings them back, which is again a, a great dilemma between you know, pushing capability but actually making sure that they want to still be there. So yeah. uh, that's why it's interesting, though, I think. Yeah. These other words you probably use as well. <laughs> annoying, yeah. <laughs> Bloody annoying, yeah. Yeah, we are at 16 minutes, which is pretty good for us to manage to get so much content into uh, just over a quarter of an hour. Thank you, Jason, That's for, a pleasure. for being our fifth guest. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And thank you, James, for being our uh, co-host again. Pleasure. Until next time. <laughs>